Hey there, Super Sober Heroes. It's your host, Sober Steve, the podcast guy. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to ask for your help to shape the future of gay A. Over the years, this podcast has grown and evolved as I've grown in my sobriety. And recently, I've been investing wild amounts of time, money, and energy to find ways to level up this podcast so it can get heard by the people who need to hear it. I want to take a brief moment to check in with all of you, though, to see what you love about the current show and what could be better as I'm growing and moving forward. In the show notes is a three to five minute survey for you to complete. I kindly ask that you pause this episode and take the time to complete it if you haven't already. You are kind enough to give me 20 to 40 minutes of your time each week when you listen to these episodes, and I want to make sure it's time well spent. So please let your voice be heard. Thanks, SoberPod, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay Gay, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community in the Dallas. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I'm grateful for finding success in my new career. As of this recording, I'm 276 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm very excited to have you on. Uh, you were one of the first sober accounts I followed when I got sober. Oh, thank you very much. That's great to hear. Yes. And why don't you introduce yourself to listeners about who you are? So my name's David Becker. I'm 36 years old. I coach gymnastics and I'm an artist. As of now, I'm 19 months sober and living in the Boston area. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you too. Thanks. And why don't you share a little bit about what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like? All right. So I grew up doing gymnastics my whole life. So I was from age two all the way through the end of high school. I was pretty focused on that regimented with, you know, hours and hours of training and strict diet. It was the 90s too. So it was a little bit stricter in the world of sports on youngsters than it is now. But so once I got out of gymnastics and finished high school, I discovered drinking and it was one of those things where for so long I was so controlled and so regimented and so, you know, involved in something that took so much of my time and my body and my energy and my life that I was, I didn't really know who I was outside of that sport. And then I had my first drinking experience around the age of 17 and it was like a light bulb of, oh my God, like I can be funny. I can be sexy. I can be the life of the party. And I don't have to be this like little shrinking violet, you know, only the kid that does gymnastics, I can be so much more, which was the beginning of the problem. <laughs> it's like, I needed this thing to be fun. I, I felt and I mean, looking back now, realizing there was, you know, lots of anxiety, lots of, you know, depression in my life, just undiagnosed, because I was so just focused on one thing. And I had my, my spot, I had my gymnastics, I had my thing. And so no one really worried about me very much. And then by being kind of not necessarily pushed to the side, but just to, be, to seem so content, no one really thought there was anything going on with any sort of mental health issues with me. And then you put that bottle in my hand at 17 years old and woo, we just went and, you know, had the kind of normal college, quote unquote, I guess, normal college experience of parties and, you know, boys and all these things coming and, and, and into my life that had never been there before and alcohol just being right along with it, that path. So then after that, after college, I kind of just, the party didn't stop for me. And then drugs got involved after 
college and through my 20s, I was kind of still searching for that party boy that, you know, liked the party that had been there for me for so long. And so that's how drugs, and then that's how my drug life started. And after a while, it just wasn't fun anymore and kind of spiraled into this self-medicating and, you know, eventually ended up in some pretty rough spots with the law and a couple of DUIs and, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of it. And that show and we go on and on forever, but yeah, that's kind of where, where, where it was, where it's at. Yeah. And then going from there and like realizing it wasn't funny anymore, how did you get sober? So initially what had happened back in 2014, I had my second DUI, the gavel kind of came down on my second DUI with the consequences of Massachusetts is pretty strict. So I lost my license for two years and I had to go into a program, like a kind of rehab program for a couple of weeks and then a year of aftercare, which was AA and all that stuff. So that was 2014. So two years solid, I was completely clean and sober. And like, and once all of the legal things kind of fell off into my, you know, out of my life, I slowly started to go back out and try to, you know, re, you know, rejoin the, the population. And it really, I, it really came down to like peer pressure. I was at a party one time and one of like the cool gays, like said to me, like, you know, we really think you're, 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 you're nice and you're, and you're handsome, but you're a little quiet and like, you're a little boring. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not the boring one. Like I can't be the boring one. And so he just, you know, handed me a little, a little GHB and, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Not too crazy out of control, but I, I, from there I slipped into the circuit scene, which for a couple of years wasn't all bad. I mean, you know, you do your, you do your drugs and you have fun with your friends and it's when you're an, an addict and an alcoholic, it's, there's no off switch. And I just didn't have an off switch. And for then from the circuit scene, kind of I rolled into the crystal meth scene. And then that was just my dirty little secret, even from all my circuit friends, I would go out and I would dance and everybody would have so much fun. And at the end of the night, they would go to their after hours with their circuit friends and I would sneak off to the kind of like seedy underbelly of the Boston drug scene and, and just get terribly, you know, just get into terrible situations with crystal meth. And that was just such an insidious drug and so hard to get out of. And so finally, 19 months ago, I, you know, post-pandemic, the pandemic hit obviously 2020. And then I, I just was so stressed. I mean, everyone was the stress, the anxiety of the world. I just pushed all that down. And then in July of 2020, I went to the beach with my friend and some of the cool gays like were there. It's always the cool gays. I guess that just kind of pushed me over the edge, but they like weren't nice to me, but they weren't mean either. It was just this very like blase interaction and for some reason i think that was just a little bit of a spark to kind of like make me feel bad enough about myself where i went out that night and i was on a week-long just from this like small little social stumble and i was dating someone at the time who lived in the uk and we would facetime the same time every night and i was always missing the facetimes during my bender because i was on a bender and then he figured it out and he was like you know this was a man I was convinced I was going to marry and I was going to be with forever. And he was so wonderful and so beautiful and so kind and so understanding. And I just, addiction got the better of us. And he said it was over. And that was the kick in the ass I needed to really get, get sober for real and do it for me and do it for, you know, 
uh, that are life, not because the judge said I had to, not because my family said I had to, not because, you know, people at work were noticing that I was like acting. We- it was just for me. It was for me and it was for the betterment of my life. And, and so now 19 months later, here we are. Yeah. And 19 months into it, what are some of the positive changes in your life now that you're living sober? Well, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where as soon as I got sober, I made my sober life as public as possible. And it was one of those things to help me keep me accountable and keep me in check. So millennial of me, like my social media saved me. Like, but it really did. Like, it did. Like, it was one of those things where all of a sudden, as soon as I started talking about it, like everyone that I knew personally was now informed of my progress and informed of my good decisions and all those things. But then all of a, then again, people from all over the country, all over the world are now reaching out to me on a regular basis, like thanking me for my story, thanking me for my honesty and thanking me for, you know, being, I guess, a role, mo- I, a role model for the, us, you know, sober gay men everywhere. And that's, that has been unbelievable. Like to wake up and and have had a rough day or whatever, you know, and feel a little bit down, and then to flip my phone open and say and to see that that onslaught of of kindness and and acceptance and the thing that I was searching for for so long through alcohol and through drugs that acceptance that that sense of community has come with sobriety, and I think that's probably the best thing I found my place, I found my tribe, I found my people, I found. And it's crazy because like you'll go to an event I because I can still go out to the clubs. I still go to I love P-Town in Massachusetts. It's one of my favorite places in the whole world. And I can so I can still go to these gay places and you meet like one sober person there and they know six more sober people who know, you know, six more from there. So before I knew it, I was constantly and continuously surrounded by strong, amazing, sober men that just made me feel like, again, I had arrived and I had been accepted and. So I think that's the best thing to come out of this is that sense of community that I think we're all looking for. And, you know, on top of that, of course, like you sleep better, you know, you look better, your skin's clearer, your, you know, all that kind of superficial stuff is kind of nice too. But at the end of the day, it's, I, I feel like I have a family and that's definitely the best thing to come out of this. Yeah. Now you're one of the cool kids. I am one of the cool gays. Finally, <laughs> it's great. And one of the things that was, is always, I think, nerve-wracking for people who are getting sober for the first time is people's reaction who are non, who are, who are drinkers or do use like non-sober people's reaction, I feel like really has a big pull on a lot of men, women getting sober in the first place. Like, what are my friends are going to think? What are my club friends? What are my party friends? What are my, you know, my family? And for me, I've had nothing but a incredible acceptance from everyone in my life. Family is obviously super proud and happy that I'm finally really here and finally really arrived to this. And then back was it Memorial Day 2021 was when Boston finally reopened. And there was this, it was Memorial Day weekend and this club in Boston has this big Sunday night party for every Monday holiday. And me and my roommate were going to, went out and I was, it was the first time going out since the beginning of the pandemic and the first time going out in this, with this new sober life and this new sober personality. And, and every single person I saw that night congratulated me. I was expecting a couple of people to be like, hey, girl, like, good job, like, you know, whatever. It was all my circuit friends, all the guys I'd known forever were just like, we're so proud of you, we're so proud of you. And it was just incredible. That was that, that moment of like, it was just 
no one was like, girl, why are you like, why, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you that, that, that was gone. It was just this full acceptance from not only the sober community, but my entire, you know, gay community in Boston and having lived here my whole life, I know a lot of people. And so, you know, it was really incredible just to have that incredible kindness from this city. And I know Boston kind of gets a bad rap as far as that is concerned, but for me, my experience has been nothing but accepting and, and it's been wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, being so ingrained in the local LGBT community, how would you say your sexualities played a role, like both during your addiction and now in your recovery? So one thing that I was definitely, drugs and alcohol for sure, brought out that kind of confidence and and that sexiness that you feel within. Because again, for so long, being a gymnast, I was so concerned about perfection and, and being this perfect little thing. And and getting that perfect 10 and you know back in the 80s the olympic men's team for gymnastics really did well and so in the 90s if you grew up in the 90s gymnastics you were there was an opportunity to really go far because we had done so well in the past and we just wanted to continue that success so it's really hard they're really hard um so you're being constantly told that you're not good enough and you're not perfect and you're not you know and so to grow up like that and to already be like a nervous like you know low self-esteem little gay boy and to have all that run at you every single day for 30 hours a week, it's, it's, it really solidified itself in my brain. And so when I started to drink, it was like all that went out the window, just like I had said before. And now, but now I could be, once I drank, I could be sexy. And I felt that like power and I felt that it's that sexiness coming from within. And, and it really, you know, I had a lot of unsafe moments because of it. You know, you're, you're inebriated and you're, you're, you find someone that you want to go home with, you sleep with people you wouldn't sleep with normally when you're drinking. And so it went from like zero to 60, like as soon as I was, you know, single and, and, and drinking out the clubs, it was like, who was I going to go home with next? And, and that's, again, just that search, that search for acceptance, that search for that, you know, partner, that search for, but it's so clouded by, by, by alcohol. It's just, it's, you make bad choices. You're really just, like oh okay like you wake up in the morning and you got to get to work and you're like okay hi whoever you are like so that was how it started but with crystal mess it's one of those things that that drug just takes you to places that you would never go ever i mean it's it releases that demon inside of you and that which in a lot of ways you think is like your your kind of ultimate sexual being then you look back and you're like no it's really not it it's not the person I want to be, those aren't the people I want to be with having gone through that. And then, and then to, to come out the other end, one of the things I was worried about though, was kind of like that sexual openness that drugs and alcohol gave you, gave me was one of the things I was worried about missing. Am I going to be able to be, you know, the quote unquote, I guess you could say like the pig I've always been is that that's kind of what I wanted to be. I wanted to be, you know, uninhibited and open and and willing to you know explore my kinkier side or you know stuff like that and so when you get sober you're like can i do it can i do it without it can i have good sex can i have fun sex can i have adventure adventurous sex can i have you know kinky sex without it and it it comes back again to finding your tribe and finding the people that you want to actually be that way with without the drugs and that's one of the hardest things to do 
as gay men, I think is that communication with other gay men as to what we really need and what we want. And so, you know, with drugs, I was one person and without, I am kind of the same person, but better and safer and, and more open, more fun. I'm way more fun sober than I was ever drunk. I'm not crying in anyone's lap anymore. It's great. Like, you know, like, like you're not walking in a scene of like, you know, like Lord of the Rings, like Gollum, like huddled over a glass pipe as you're just like trying to, it's, 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 it can only, it only gets better once you put that shit down. Yeah, certainly I can agree. Now, if you can give one piece of advice to someone who is sober, curious or newly sober, what would that be? Ask for help. Like 100%. Because here's the thing I get, like I was saying earlier, I get approached all the time. And it's one of those things where if I didn't ask for help and I didn't put myself out there and I didn't be honest with myself, my family, my friends, my, you know, all those people, I wouldn't have started the, the, the process of, of getting sober and you asking for help as a man is really hard. I were taught to be, you know, strong and, you know, don't read the fucking directions. Like don't, you know, whatever. Like it's, you have to, you can't do this alone. You cannot do, you can't go through these, these traumatic events and these, and these things and, and not have someone's hand to hold. It's, it's impossible. And to, and the first time I did this, that's what I did. I was like, I can do this on my own. If I, I, especially going back to gymnastics, it's like gymnastics is very like, it's your individual sport. You're up on the floor by yourself and you have to rely on all the things you've learned and all the things you've done in the past to perform at this exact moment. And I applied that to my sobriety the first time. I said to stand here, I have to do this and I don't need anyone's help. I'm just going to rely on myself. That doesn't, and that didn't work. And so this time it was, I sat there and I told myself, I have to do it completely different. Always ask for help. That's, that's the number one thing you can do. And without it, you're, you're done. It's not going to work. Yeah. I can agree with that. I feel like connection has been so important to my sobriety. I definitely can't imagine trying to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And it's a pride thing. Like I'm very, you know, I, it, it's almost like, Hey, look what I did by myself. I won on my own. It's a, it's a weird prideful tendency that I have. And I think a lot of people have, it's like, it's, it doesn't, it's just, it, it takes too much. It's too lonely at the, at doing it that way. And then the littlest problem, you can't talk it out with someone, the littlest setback. You feel like it's, if it's all, if you're on your own, it's all your fault. And if you have a small setback, you can lean on the people that are there to make sure you get back up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, in addition to connection and finding that, you know, tribe, what are some other things you do in your daily life to help keep you sober? So I, I one of the things, so I, I, I work with a personal therapist. AANNA for me is an ineffective way personally for me to get to get and stay sober. It's just my personal experience. I know this with this a lot of different, a lot of conflicting opinions on that. For me, it was just too, it, it was just too, it was part of my punishment in the beginning of my, when I got my DUI. So there was like that association with it. But also the meetings that I would go to would just, I feel like we'd be sitting around telling drinking stories and telling the, the terrible things that went on in our lives. And for me, I needed to realize, I needed to figure out why it started and where it started. And that way I could work with the demons and the trauma and the 
the mental illness that I was experiencing so I could heal myself and be confident in myself to go forward sober instead of just like continuously beating myself over the head, being like, remember this time you, you know, you ruined Christmas. Remember that time you, da, 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 da. like, that's not, that's not helpful for, for my sobriety, for my, my mental health. That's not helpful. So for me, I went to see a personal therapist and we did, we started at the very beginning of my earliest memory and we tried to literally write my entire life down. And then from the very beginning, we worked through every little thing that, you know, that led to picking up and continuously using in the first place. So that's one thing I do for sure. That's super, super helpful. And then I, you know, I, I also, I like, I go to the gym and I take, I, I take the, I do, I do a lot of like good coping. I have a lot of good coping mechanisms. I do art. I go to the gym. You know, I, I, I keep myself busy, busy as possible, but also maintaining that kind of like work-life balance of not going too crazy. Cause then we can tire ourselves out and make bad choices. <laughs> so good coping mechanisms. I always tell people that, that are, are coming into new sobriety. It's like find stuff that like you love to do no matter what. And that way, if you feel like you're getting stressed, you turn to your reading, you turn, I'm not a reader, but if, you know, I I'll turn to my painting. I'll turn to, you know, the gym, I'll turn to my friends. I'll turn to going out dancing. I'll turn to the things that really make me happy and really fulfill me in that way. You avoid a relapse from early. And that way you don't have to be white knuckling it. Oh my God, I want to use, I want to use, I want to use. You try to, to try to just change the trajectory of how you're feeling by filling your life with things that are good for you and, and make you feel good no matter what it is. Yeah, I guess great, certainly great advice. Now, as, as people in recovery, no matter how we get or stay sober, we typically tend to love our traditions and sayings and mantras and quotes. Uh-huh. Do you have a quote that you like to try and live by? I, I, what I, I did this thing for a while at the beginning, especially when I was coming up on my, my one year was I would tell myself, no, I don't do that anymore. And one of the, and I had three, three main things. I don't do FOMO. I don't rush and I don't stress. I just don't do that anymore. And so what I would just before I could feel myself getting worked up about something, I could feel myself rushing out the door. I could feel myself throwing, you know, thumbing through Instagram and being like, oh, there, you know, these guys went out that night and I decided not to. I must have missed out. I just stopped myself. So I don't do that anymore. And it's one of the things that my boss actually, who's not sober, but he he's like, what does Mr. Dave say? He says, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so that's definitely my thing is I don't do that anymore. I like that. That's Thank nice. you. <laughs> and if people are interested in following you on Instagram and watching you recover out loud, how would they find you? So um, on Instagram, I'm jimdave85. It's G-Y-M-D-A-V-E 85. And then, yeah, that's that's the Instagram to follow me. Some people are like, and the gym is for gymnastics, not lifting gym. I'm not a total douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to add that into the show notes so that people can go over and find you from there. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being on, Dave. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Gay A. Please rate and review if you found this information. While you're following Dave on Instagram, you can also follow us at Gay A Podcast or email me directly at gayapodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening so you get these new episodes whenever they come out, which is almost definitely always every Monday and Thursday. And until next time, stay sober, friends.